This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to another amazing day right here on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. And man, a lot of things have happened. A lot of news has happened. We've hit the filing deadlines in the Senate and the House and our state legislature, which has led to a slew of bills being filed. We'll go through that important hearing on House Bill 500. We'll hit that off as well as just a, a whole slew of things we'll be covering today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Before I dig into that, as always, want to remind you, if you want to catch past shows, head on over to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. So obviously... Big news of the day, well, technically yesterday, is that Mitch McConnell has stepped down as Senate Minority Leader, as Leader of the Republicans in the Senate. Now, he hasn't stepped down as Senator of Kentucky, but it does leave some scratching their heads as to what is the timing about. Obviously, uh, it's, it's an interesting time because we're in the middle of a big conflict here that McConnell has put himself into. Remember, McConnell doesn't like Trump. And so obviously, uh, he's running into some issues there, I think. Also as well, McConnell wants to get that Ukraine funding done. But uh, Mike Johnson actually uh, is kind of standing in his way in the House and McConnell maybe feels like he can't negotiate that well because he can't get that done. And he's worried that's going to stain his record, his accomplishments. Uh, you know, reportedly recently, McConnell told um, Speaker Johnson to forget about the border. The most important thing right now is that we get money over to Ukraine. He reportedly had said that to him this week. And that's, you know, obviously hearsay, just rumor. But a uh, few people have reported on that, so I'd take it to be probably pretty true. But, you know, with with the mix of things all going on from McConnell to step down at this point, it leaves some asking questions. I have to think, personally, my personal belief is that I, I don't know if McConnell's going to... Uh, I believe he's probably going to serve out his term or at least maybe wait until after uh, a bill gets through the House and Senate that would change the senator's election to being a open... Uh, to being a special election if it needs to be filled. Right now, the governor gets to appoint the senator. Um, it's kind of a holdover, remember, from when 
the state uh, legislature actually voted on who would be the senator. That used to be the way we selected senators, but now it's by popular vote in the state. And so congressmen are filled through a special election. So there's a bill right now in our state legislature to change that. So it would be decided based upon a special election rather than the governor just going ahead and picking somebody to fill the spot. But putting that uh, to the side here for a second, I don't think he's necessarily going to step down, but I do think he definitely has lost a step. I think he's freezing up a little bit more behind closed doors. He's losing his way a little bit behind closed doors, and he's recognizing that he's not an effective negotiator anymore. I think he probably needs to take some time to take care of some medical situation. I'm just, just all guessing once again, I'm just guessing, but I think he needs to take some time to go ahead and uh, get some medical situations figured out. So that way uh, he can't be as involved and take as much of a leadership role. So he's got to hand that off to somebody else. And also he probably wants to help select who that person would be and help guide them before he leaves office here in two years. And so I, I think that might be part of why he's stepping down too as well. But obviously that's big news. We'll keep an eye on that. It is possible he may end up stepping down as senator in general. Well, yesterday I spoke about Danny Carroll's Horizons Act, a bill he's proposed, spending $300 million on childhood, early childhood education. Now, of course, uh, he's kind of been a black hole, as he admitted. Those of you who listened to the show yesterday know I played some of his comments he made on KET. And Senator Danny Carroll has made it clear that his Horizons Act bill, that $300 million, is just the start. That is going to be a never-ending dark hole of money pit money just being dumped into this uh, because he believes that the government needs to raise your kids that you shouldn't be raising the kids i mean if, if you remember when he's talking about this he's talking about how we need to get to kids from zero from birth through 18 we need to be getting to these kids to educate them that's the government you know not not the not you the parent but the government needs to be the one educating them. And so we need to tax, of course, because if we're going to spend more, we have to tax more. So we have to tax the parents more to force them to have to go to work and work harder. And then that will force them to have to put them in these government-funded facilities where we can get to them at birth and make sure that we educate them the way we want to. Because, you know, we can't risk them having the kinds of values their parents have. We need them to have values that the government instills into them. Because we're seeing that work out so great in our K-12 through education right? The, the values they're instilling in them, the ability to educate. It's so funny to hear them say that the government somehow can educate kids from birth till 18 when they can't even do a marginal job K through 12. But anyways, putting that to the side, I'd made a post uh, about that on my Twitter and someone had commented as saying that, you know, basically I'm always calling out waste and spending I disagree with, but I never say where I want to spend the money. That's what he said. He said, uh, you know, we have the money. Uh, it's just going to sit there. Where would you want to spend it? And I can tell you right away, the fact he would use the word like spend tells me that he's probably not going to like my answer because I wouldn't use the word spend. And I don't like that term. We have the money. No, no, no. The government has taken money by force from the taxpayers. And if you think it's not by force, try not paying your taxes. So government has taken money from its citizens by force and is spending it on this wasteful things. It's not where I would want to spend the money. Where do I want the money to go? Back into the taxpayer's pocket. 
so they can pay for their own things. I mean, just think about how much money we spend on kids in school. I mean, we're spending 20 grand in Louisville, 17, 18,000 in Lexington, 14, 15 grand a student in Jesmond County, 12, 13 grand in like Garrett County on kids in K through 12 education per child. Imagine all that money back into the taxpayer's pocket. Perhaps they could take care of their own children. Perhaps they could take care of their own bills. <laughs> you know, this $300 million early childhood education, because somebody's got to teach them. Perhaps if you weren't taxing them so much, the parents could be teaching the kids, providing that kind of structure. So no, I don't want to spend the money. I want it to go back into the taxpayer's pocket, back to the people you took it from, so they can spend it how they want to. It's a simple response. I'm calling out all these wrong spendings and these black holes because we know this Horizons Act, as I said earlier, it is a black hole of spending on birth through K, child care, education. Danny Carroll's Horizons Act. It's a never-ending black money pit. And we know that. But... We still want to keep dumping money into it. And we say, hey, all citizens, hey, we can't. What do you want to spend it on? We have it. Give it back to the citizens. How about that? Or you can pay down debt. I guess I'd be okay with paying down debt. Um, you know, unfortunate that we have to, but we did write the check. So maybe we can pay down the debt. But then after we pay off our debts, put that money back in the taxpayer's pocket. So that way, maybe they can take care of themselves. And people making 50, 60K a year don't have to go ask for food stamps, something that we covered earlier this week as well. Now, coming up after this, like I said, we hit that uh, House and Senate bill filing deadline, so we'll be talking a lot about bills today. We'll be talking about a uh, few bills filed on, um, you know, as far as uh, minor access to pornography. We've got uh, an important hearing on House Bill 500 regarding some labor laws. Uh, all big things happening, but we'll be talking about that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Politics. And you're back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. As always, if you want to reach out to the show, feel free to email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. So there's been uh, the the Senate and House. Monday was the House. Wednesday was the Senate's bill filing deadline. Now, this is a self-imposed rule by our legislature. It's not mandated anywhere in our Constitution. But this is a rule that the uh, House and Senate come up with where they have a cutoff day that legislators can no longer file bills. Now, this isn't really a rule, though, for leadership, of course. No, no, no. This is for the rank and file members. They get the cutoff. But if leadership wants a bill done, they can still get it done. And now you may remember me talking about this, uh, I think, uh, last week or so. But 
the uh, leadership has something at their disposal called shell bills. And the f several of them have already been filed. And what they are is bills that really don't do much at all. I think there's five or six filed in the Senate, five or six filed in the House. And they don't really do much at all. And what will happen is, is they'll call these bills forward into committee. And then in committee, they're able to submit what's called a committee sub. And the committee sub is the actual bill that does everything. And so they, they can call forward a bill that's just saying... Um, you know, gender neutral language in some education law, call that forward into the education committee and then submit a committee sub that actually does something far different than what the original bill did. And that's called a shell bill. And then they sub it out. But to the rank and file members, that deadline is their last chance to file any pieces of legislation. And while I'm here, while I have a moment, I do want to remind you on House Bill 204, those of you listening to the show know we have been mentioning House Bill 204. House Bill 204 is taking aim at the competitor's veto within our certificate of need law. The competitor's veto allows uh, would-be competitors in healthcare to veto issuing the uh, uh, license to operate for other health care providers in an area if they decide they don't want the competition. They can just veto it. I'm serious. The healthcare provider, when they want to open up, turns to the government and asks or wants to buy equipment or add beds or open up another location. They turn to the government to ask for permission. The government then turns to their competitors and asks, hey, is it okay if they open up? And um, your competitors, would-be competitors, can say, no, 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 we're vetoing that. And then you're not allowed to open up. So House Bill 204 would say, nope, you cannot ask the competitors if they want to veto their would-be competitor from opening up in the area. This bill is in the Health Services Committee, chaired by one Kim Mosier, and we've been doing a full court press to get Kim Mosier to call that bill forward for a vote in committee. And you can reach out to her. You can call 1-800-372-7181. Once again, that's 1-800-372-7181. That's the LRC message line. And ask to leave a message for Representative Kim Mosier, chair of the Health Services Committee, and the message should say, call 204 Forwarding Committee for a vote. If you want, you can also email Kim Mosier at Kimberly, spelled normal, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y, dot Mosier, M-O-S-E-R, at lrc.ky.gov. So that's Kimberly.Mosier at lrc.ky.gov. Gov. So you can also email her telling her to call that bill forward. My sources within the state house and, and state legislature, state senate, tell me that she's been walking around hopping mad telling everybody about how upset she is about all the calls and all the emails that she's been getting from people like you. So don't stop now. We are making headway. I know it seems like an uphill battle, but don't stop now. Keep hitting her. Keep calling her up. Let's get House Bill 204 called forward for a vote. But so with that filing deadline happening, though, <laughs> to return back into it here, with that filing deadline happening Wednesday and Monday, we've seen a, a, a slew of bills being filed. And one of the ones that have raised some eyes of people is regarding uh, two bills, House Bill 241 and House Bill 270, or Senate Bill 276 and House Bill 241. They are two bills that do the same thing, one filed by Shane Baker and one from Senator Lindsey Tishner. Now, I want to take a second here 
give a little bit of a parental advisory to those who are listening. Uh, we're going to be covering some slightly adult topics. It shouldn't be too graphic or anything, but it is some more adult topics. And so you may want to be careful uh, about allowing children to listen to this segment, uh, but we do have to cover what these bills do. It is newsworthy. You've probably been seeing about it in the news, so it's worth talking about here, but I just want to give you a little bit of a parental advisory as we're digging into these things. So you're about to watch something amazing happen. You're about to watch a whole bunch of adults claim they don't watch pornography while at the same time defending an idea. It's very important that adults be able to anonymously access said pornography. It's so important that their unferreted access to pornography should not be infringed, that even if it means that minors are watching pornography illegally, it is worth it to them because there needs to be unferreted, unchecked access to online smut. But at the same time, they will swear they're not watching it. They super, super promise they're not the perverts watching it, but they do think it's really important that people have unferreted access to it. And what I'm talking about, these two bills, House Bill 241 from Shane Baker, Senate Bill 276 from Lindsay Tishner, both bills would require pornography sites to verify a user's age before they deliver them content. This clearly would involve things like submitting an ID, something like that. Now, detractors will argue some sort of First Amendment right to access um, because, of course, they don't want to say, they watch pornography. So they'll say, no, this is a this is a First Amendment concern. This is a constitutional concern. You can't do this. I should not have to show an ID before I access smut online. That is protected by the First Amendment. Now, keep in mind, it's already illegal for stores like Hustler Hollywood, other adult stores uh, to sell to minors in person. So it's, it's already legal to do this in person. So saying that a state can't make you verify your ID for accessing online content is like saying a state shouldn't be able to verify your ID, uh, mandate your ID be verified before you make online alcohol purchases. If it's already been determined, you can limit the access to the obscene material in a physical store. There is no legal reason. There's no constitutional reason that makes sense to me personally that should somehow say you have an unferreted access to this online. So those arguing that I think are just trying to grasp at straws because they don't want to say out loud that they want to anonymously view pornography online. However, their argument about anonymity is kind of already mute. I mean, ask all those people. Okay, all, all of you people out there, if you happen to be listening to this and you watch pornography online, or if you're scrolling through the stations and you come across this show talking about children being stopped from watching pornography online, like I said, I gave you a little bit of a parental advisory when I started this segment, but if you happen to watch pornography and you think you're doing it online anonymously, you are obviously very mistaken. I mean, really. Do you honestly think in the day and age that if you even talk about a product you may be interested in near your phone 
and then all of a sudden you start getting ads for it. You think in a world where that happens, where your Alexa is always listening to you, where your phone is always listening to you, where uh, um, you know Facebook and Twitter and all those have access to your cameras and have these long user agreements giving them access to all kinds of data, do you really think you're watching pornography anonymously without people knowing? Do you really think that? I mean, obviously, that is ridiculous. You're clearly not watching this smut anonymously online. And even if they were, even if you actually were able to peruse this and watch this, and it was actually completely anonymous, that nobody has any idea that you're watching it, nobody's tracking this, okay? Are we really a society that's going to accept the argument that keeping a 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10-year-old from accidentally coming across a pornography website is less important than you having a false sense of anonymity while you are watching porn? Of course not. That's not an acceptable argument, and we know that. We know that, but that's why they will play this game of pretending it's some sort of constitutional right. And you're going to watch utterly and completely baffled Because the people arguing against this, they don't want to say what they're really thinking out loud. They don't want to say what their argument is out loud. Because what their argument is, is I don't care if children are watching pornography as long as I get to while feeling secretive about it. Which is the entire problem. That's the problem with the perversion. That's the problem with the smut. That's the problem with what it does to your mind. Your mind has clearly been absolutely, your your morality has been destroyed by online pornography. If you think it's more important that you get to enjoy it than it is, not even just enjoy it, you get to watch it without having to verify your identity first, verify that you're over the age of 18 first. That you getting to not have to do that is more important than small children, keeping small children from watching it. There's clearly a moral standpoint here. I mean, more, morally speaking, you shouldn't be watching it at all. And the, and the fact, the reason why you shouldn't be watching it is because it's creating in you thoughts like this. Your value system is messed up. You're more concerned about your own self and your own, quote unquote, false sense of pleasure, pleasure, whatever then you are worried about what you should be worried about as a good member of society, as a good human, children, keeping them away from things that may damage them, creating a society that's healthy and accountable and doesn't produce horrible results of people who are more depressed, more suicidal, more upset, marriages breaking up. Your value system has been all knocked out of whack. Well, coming up after this, we'll be digging into House Bill uh, 500, as well as a few other house bills. Uh, after this short break, you're listening to the Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Don't worry, this episode, this this segment here doesn't need a parental advisory. Um, we're going to be covering something uh, a lot less, um, I don't know, graphic uh, per se. But um, so house bill... 500 got a hearing in committee this week. What does House Bill 500 do? Well, House Bill 500 is taking a look at a lot of 
are labor laws. So I'm going to go through their bill, and I want to uh, read it, kind of go through it with you first as we look at, is this bill a good idea, a bad idea, or what have you. So this is what it says. It says, the minimum wage and overtime compensation requirements. So basically, minimum wage and overtime requirements uh, shall not apply to any individual employed in ag- this is what the bill's trying to do. Okay, so it's trying to say there's no minimum wage requirements and no overtime requirements for people employed in agriculture, an individual employed in a bona fide executive, administrative, supervisory, or professional capacity, or in the capacity of an outside salesman, or as an outside collector, as the terms is defined by administrative regulations, an individual employed by the United States, any individual employed in domestic service in or about a private home, any individual classified and given a certificate by the commissioner showing a status of learner, apprentice, worker with a disability, sheltered workshop employee, and student under administrative procedures, employees of retail stores, service industry, hotels, motels, and restaurant operations who average annual gross volume of sales made for business done is less than 95000 for the five preceding years. So gross volume of sales less than 95000 exclusive of excise taxes at the retail level, or if the employee is a parent, spouse, child, or other member of his or her employer's immediate family. Any individual employed as a babysitter or as a companion by sick or an elderly person, a person taking uh, care of the sick in homes, but does not include housekeeping. Principal duties cannot include housekeeping. Any individual engaged in the delivery of newspapers to the consumer. Any individual um, subject to provisions of KRS Chapter 716, 27A, 30A, and 18A, provided that the secretary of the personnel cabinet shall have the authority prescribed by administrative regulation, those emergency employees or others who shall receive overtime pay rates necessary for the efficient operation of government and protection of affection affected employees. So that's a government employees are talking about there. Any employee employed by an establishment, which is an organized nonprofit camp, religious or nonprofit educational conference center, any employee who's, uh, function is to provide 24-hour residential care on the employer's premises in a parental role to children who are primarily dependent, neglected, and abused, and who are in the care of private nonprofit child care facilities. Any individual whose function is to provide 24-hour residential care in his or her home as a family caregiver, a direct seller, or any individual whose function is to provide behavior support services, behavior programming services, case management services, community living support services, positive behavior support services, or respite services through a contractual relationship with a certified waiver provided. And then it goes through. So that's the first half of this bill. So first, it's it's saying that there's a bunch of categories that are not subject to minimum wage or overtime requirements. Now, longtime listeners of the show know I'm not a big fan of minimum wage or overtime requirements. Why? And some of you listening may be clutching your pearls as I say that. Andrew, you're not in favor of overtime pay? Are you? Do you hate employees? No, no, no. It's not that at all. It's this, okay? If you're an employee... And you make 15 an hour, let's say, and you say, look, 
I can only work 40 hours at this job. They cut you off at 40 because they don't want to overtime pay you, right? Because it's not in their budget to overtime pay. They can only pay people 15 an hour. So, but you want to make more money. So you say, okay, well, I'll go work 20 hours a week at this other job, paying maybe even less $12 an hour. And so you end up as an individual, individuals, if they so choose, are already free to go ahead and work as many hours a week as they want to, but they can't do it for the same employer. And I think that is actually causing more difficulties, not just for the employer, but also for the employee. Because imagine if, if you're in a position where you want to work 60 hours a week at 15 bucks an hour, if you could work that 60 hours a week for one employer versus 40 for one, 20 for the other than having to coordinate schedules, you'd probably want to do that. That's actually more convenient for you. So it's kind of, doesn't make much, a lot of these employment laws came about at a time where it was just difficult to find a job. I mean, right now, minimum wage is seven twenty-five. Let me ask all of you listening out there. Do you really think anybody, anybody, like anybody is right now making seven twenty-five? actually? I mean, even McDonald's is paying like 12 bucks an hour. If they're making seven twenty-five an hour, it's because they've chosen to do it and it's a very easy, low paced job and they're like a kid or something. Like McDonald's was paying 12, 13. Like minimum wage in Lexington is probably like 10, 11, 12 bucks an hour. Now the actual law is 725, but effective minimum is about three to four dollars an hour more now because of the market of jobs. So the, the free market of labor has brought that minimum wage up where law hasn't been needed. And then when it comes to, once again, this overtime situation, overtime laws saying if you work over 40 hours a week, I'd pay overtime. Well, like I said, you can go find another job if you want to. So off the bat, I'm already not a big fan of overtime laws because I think you're limiting an employee's ability to easily make more money when they want to. Now, of course, there's a lot of other things. And, and so another thing in law is if you're basically, if you're a salaried employee, that's why I said a bona fide executive, administrator, supervisor, or professional capacity. Because a, a lot of times if you're a uh, salaried employee, they still, if you work over 40 hours a week in law, they want to pay you overtime. But I've been a salaried employee. I don't know if anybody listening has been salaried employees or salaried employees right now. You work way more than 40 hours a week. It's just a part of your job. But sometimes you work less than 40. I mean, if, as long as you can accomplish your job that you're required to accomplish, generally speaking, you accomplish it. Sometimes you need to go above and beyond, but you're okay doing that because you're paid enough to do it. And then also, if, if you have control over your own schedule, it, these, these overtime laws and, and things get really complicated. And then it's looking, too, at, at people who you know live in, live in caregivers, Limited where they have to be paid a minimum wage or overtime. So that limits a person's ability. Um, you know, babysitter. So if you have somebody come babysit in your home for your kids, uh, right now, technically speaking, you should be subjected to uh, the labor laws. And so this is taking aim at dealing with that. And so my natural disposition against things like, especially overtime, uh, laws kind of makes me not see this as a big deal. I understand a lot of other people can. You can disagree if you look at this bill and you say, look, I disagree. There is something you're not considering on it, Andrew. Here is um, my thoughts on it. You can email me at info at the Once again, that's info at 
theandrewshow.com. The bill does a few other things, though. It also, if uh, labor board takes action against somebody for failure to pay minimum wages or overtime wages, um, outside of you know paying that compensation, uh, they shouldn't be charged any fees or um, any kind of you know uh, you know uh, punitive damages. They shouldn't have to pay any punitive damages. Just pay the person's fees. The bill also does that. I don't know if I like that or not, but that's in there. Um, there's some things in there about employee use of vehicle for travel to as well. Uh, about compensation for the vehicle. It also says that an employer does not have to compensate an individual for traveling in their vehicle between jobs as long as it's within a reasonable area. And also there's some things in here about lunch break. So we'll be going over uh, what's what the rest of what's in this bill after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Want to check out past shows? Head on over to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. We'll be back here in a few, few short minutes. Hey, and you're back with The Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. For the break, we're going over House Bill 500, a sweeping bill dealing with a lot of Labor laws in Kentucky and being heard in committee this week. We've gone over part of it regarding uh, its waiving of minimum wage and overtime requirements in certain situations. It also digs into um, employees being paid for travel and activities um, as far as, you know, within the business and and operating for the business, not having to pay for, uh, you know, travel per se. Um It says that uh, the use of, so this is in the bill, um, the use of an employer's vehicle by an employee for travel and activities performed by an employee which are incidental to the use of such vehicle for commuting should not be considered part of the employee's principal activities if the travels within normal commuting area for the employer's business or establishment and the use of the employer's vehicle is subject to an agreement on the part of the employer and the employee or representative of the employee. So what this is saying, so imagine if you would, that you um, work in welding. Maybe you're a welder. You do on-the-job welding for a company. And so you don't have a service truck with a welder and all your tools and everything else. Um, and so what you, you show up at the office Um, and then you commute in your car or truck or whatever, and you go to the office, you stop in, you get your job for the day. And the job is saying, Hey, go out to this construction site. There's a excavator that needs repair, or, you know, there's some welding work on this side out here. It's going to be in an all day site. Okay. And so then you get into your company vehicle with all your tools and everything on it. And then maybe that site is only, you know, 15, 20 minutes away from the shop. Uh, you go over to there, you then do your work, you fix it up. You then drive your 15, 20 minutes back to the shop. You then get into your vehicle and you drive home. Well, right now under Kentucky law, you'd have to be compensated for your time from when you leave the shop until you get to uh, the actual site. Okay. Um, and what this is saying is that you do not have to be, as long as it's like a, a normal commuting area. So it's not like an extended, huge, large travel. Um, you're not doing a bunch of stops along the way per se, but you're, you're going to like a site that's 20 minutes away, but you just need to pick up a company vehicle before you do that. 
you won't be paid for that, for that stopover, pick up the vehicle and drive. Um, you don't have to be compensated for that. So that's what the change is. You can think it's bad, it's good. Just want to explain it to you. The other thing it does is it doesn't, um, and this is the big one. This is the one that's getting a lot of Twitter activity. Um, basically, it's getting rid of a sort of a mandatory uh, lunchtime. So this is what it says. It says a use in the section bona fide meal period means a time when employees completely relieved from any duties for the purpose of eating a meal. The employee is not completely relieved if he or she is required to perform any du- duties, whether active or inactive while eating. Employers shall pay employees for time spent eating food during a work shift unless the employer provides a bona fide meal period. No payment shall be owed to an employee for time spent eating during a work shift if the employer provides a bona fide meal period. Okay, so this is what it's specifically doing, okay? So right now in Kentucky law, and I ran into this uh, at an office I worked at, um, I was the sales director there, and there was a front office administrator, and she would eat at her desk. Um, and so, you know, she would sit calls would come in or what have you, or she would put her phone on do not disturb for like an hour and she would eat at her desk. And one day somebody from the labor board or whatever showed up to the business. And while she was sitting at her desk eating, a UPS package came in and she signed for it. And we were then, not we, it wasn't my business, but the business owner was then cited for a violation of the lunch break requirement, meal break requirement. And so from there on out in the entire company, you had to physically leave your desk and go to a a separate table. And for the period of time you were to eat, you couldn't choose to eat at your desk. You couldn't choose to, um, you know, you know, work through your lunch. If you so wanted to, you couldn't, you know, basically, um, because a lot of times, right. Going back to the salaried jobs, salaried employees, you know, you can work through your lunch. Maybe you can go home an hour early. Well, you're not actually legally allowed to do that in current Kentucky law. And so what this is doing is it is allowing that. So it's saying that if you get a bona fide meal period, okay, then you don't get paid for eating food during a work shift. But if you don't get a bona fide meal period, then you will still be paid for eating food during a work shift. So basically, if you now, let's say you work nine hours a day right now, but they give you an hour for a lunch break. But if you decide instead, you want to go ahead and eat through your lunch and work at your desk, well, you can only you can work just eight hours then, get paid the same amount, but you get out of work an hour early because you don't have that hour of non-payment where you're supposed to be taking a lunch break. So that's like an example of how you could use this. Um, like I said, they're freaking out online a lot about it. The lefties are really freaking out about this bill because I don't I don't think they've seen it in practice. Because this law in practice, like I have, I've seen ridiculous citations as I just shared with you. With this bill in practice, and it doesn't make, with this bill, with this law in practice, it doesn't make a lot of sense because how you actually operate it, and it's not that, you know, 
employers are trying to put on employees or vice versa. Because in this modern job market, there's, and you, you heard it earlier this, this week or last week when we were looking at um, some other bills about labor laws, there's 71 people looking for a job for every 100 job openings we have in Kentucky. This job market, employee, and, and, you know, employers are not sitting here saying, oh man, I, I wish, uh, you know, I've got so many employees to pick from. Geez, oh, Pete's, this isn't a problem for me. No, 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 no. This is becoming an issue. This is an issue, and it's something that we can look at because there's so many job openings. The market of labor is the protection on the employee now. It is an employee's market. Like I said, th there are, look out there, if you're a professional or even not, take a look at Amazon, take a look at uh, any factory, take a look at almost any job. And look at what they provide. Look at a gas station cashier. Gets provided health insurance, 401k, all these things. There is no legal requirement that they have to provide that to you. A 401k. Um, you know, uh, annual pay raises. You know, you'll hear them advertising that in their job. There's no legal requirement they have to offer that to you. But they still do. Why? Because they're competing for labor. And so that's the point. Is that you have situations where people are getting caught up in these labor laws that, and, and nobody's got an issue with it. The employee and employer, nobody's got an issue with it. It's the state who has a problem with it. The people engaging voluntarily in this private agreement have no issue. The state's just asserting their will. There's a, a, another piece of legislation I want to make sure I hit upon. That's House Bill 831 that was filed by Shane Baker this week. And it creates a, a, a section of KRS Chapter 160 to prohibit a public school district, public school, or public charter school or educational cooperative from expending any money from whatever source to advocate for or against any public question that appears on the ballot. This is an important bill. Unfortunately, it's needed. We've been seeing school districts all over Kentucky using... Uh, taxpayer funded materials using the email lists that they get because parents are going, uh, you know, obviously kids go to the school, they get their parents' email. So they've been emailing parents out about pieces of legislation involving education and basically trying to engage and be activists and engage the uh, uh, parents of kids that they're using their taxpayer funds and emails given to them through function of government uh, in order to lobby them to lobby their legislatures on behalf of legislation. And so I think it's incredibly important that this bill pass, especially as we're looking at school choice, because frankly, it isn't correct or fair that you take my money by force and then you use that money to then advocate and lobby for bills and legislative actions and constitutional actions that are against, that are a political question. That is up for debate. You've taken money from me to fund your side of the debate. That isn't fair. And so I think this is very, very important. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperator Show. We'll see you back here tomorrow, Friday, uh, 9 a.m. on WZXI, 1 o'clock everywhere else. Have a great rest of your day.